What? Is that as fast as you can wait? A paradoxical satire I first heard on the frozen surface of Lake Muskegon, Michigan. We had started waiting three days earlier as my buddy and I loaded our ice boats into his truck and drove eight hours from central Wisconsin to Kalamazoo, Michigan. We have arrived well after dark with the first snowflakes. By morning, we were snowed off the lake. We spent the day in hurry-up-and-wait mode as the regatta organizers worked the phones looking for clean ice. This is before the days of internet. We actually had to call people to find out what the conditions were someplace else. By late afternoon, scouting reports turned up Lake Muskegon, and the 40-boat regatta relocated the following day. More hurry-up-and-wait. Finally, we stood on passable ice, boats rigged, sails hanging, so that's as fast as you can wait. No win, no race, more waiting. Waiting is a task that nobody likes. Waiting is what the apostles were doing in Jerusalem in our epistle reading. Waiting is John's explanation from our gospel reading. For as yet the Spirit had not been given. But waiting comes with a promise, according to the psalmist. Indeed, none who wait on you, who wait for Yahweh, shall be put to shame. So what is the psalmist? What does the Bible mean to wait? Well, waiting must start by stopping. Have you ever experienced a disaster that just continued to escalate? The pot is boiling over on the stove, and you grab the handle, but in your haste, it sloshes over the rim. Now the mess includes the stovetop and the floor. You reach for a kitchen towel to clean up the mess, but as you bend down to wipe up the floor, you steady yourself by putting your hand on the hot stove. Correcting the problem only worsens the situation. There's an old saw that captures that scene. When you are in a hole, put down the shovel. Actually, this little stovetop disaster makes a good metaphor for sin in our lives. Sin rarely comes alone, particularly the sins we commit against each other. Someone speaks an unkind word against me, and I take offense. A sin failing to put the best construction on everything. I harbor that sin. I feed that sin. I comfort that sin by refusing to forgive another sin. Then, when opportunity presents itself, I return the disfavor and speak my own unkind word. Sin truly begat more sin. On the other side, we make excuses. I was speaking the truth. I can't help it if it hurts. Or we shift the blame. I can't help it if the information was incorrect. The AP is normally a reliable source. It's not my fault. For millennia, we've played out the scene in the garden. The woman whom you gave to be with me, she. The serpent, he. The psalmist understands our sinful human condition. He stops. He waits. He prays. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. When we stop to wait, we create an opportunity to reflect on our lives. This is not like the, unlike the window in the Florida's past that opened during the drought of 2007. Lake Okeechobee, the state's second largest lake, hit its lowest level on record. In some areas, the shoreline received over a mile creating areas of dry lake bed where historical artifacts have been uncovered, some dating back 500 years and more, pottery shards, 
Arrowhead's penance. Weaving tools now lay on the top of the dry ground, providing clues about the Native Americans who once lived in the region. Evidence of Florida's tourism and fishing industry also lurk nearby. A fishing trawler that was built in 1904 and likely sunk during the hurricane of 1928. Evidence of paddle boats that once ferried tourists around the area. Stopping and waiting lets us see what is right under the surface of our lives. It opens a window to the soul. Waiting begins by stopping. It continues by being still. It invites us to reflect and to confess. The psalmist is very succinct when he writes, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. In the stillness, we recognize that God is holy, and we are not. Our sinfulness appears as the muddy artifacts on the now dry lake bed. Oh, they're not all sinful and repugnant artifacts. But whatever is good and praiseworthy came from God. God works in us. They only help to remind us just how far we have yet to go. Jesus' words ring in our ears. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. In our confession, we, along with the psalmist, appeal to the Lord, to your mercy and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old, verse 6. Good and upright is the Lord, verse 8. For the sake of Yahweh's revealed goodness, we ask that he would forgive us this huge debt of sin. In view of our current distress and affliction, we've confessed that we have no recourse but to leave everything in his hands, expect everything from him, and to trust in him alone. To wait means to stop, to be still, to seek God. The psalmist speaks as one man. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O God, in you I trust. Let me not be put ashamed. But the way he intones that none who wait for you shall be put to shame happens in community. Ten days ago, our victorious Lord ascended into heaven to his coronation, leaving the leaven this command. Wait for the promise of my Father. The eleven, now the twelve, with the addition of Matthias, along with the whole company of 120, as Luke reports it, had waited. They had been trained to wait, trained by failure. Their failure during the longest wait from the cross to the open tomb. For them, for those three days, it seemed the only thing they were waiting for was their own arrest and their own crucifixion. The last three years seemed to them alive as they huddled together. It is not hard to understand the locked doors because we can empathize with their fear. For you and me, the terror of the soul can take many guises. Is there really a God? I mean, the Bible can sound like so many other ancient myths of people's collected stories to give meaning to their community. Or how could the Creator become a creature? The Incarnation sounds laughable to our reason. The first cause cannot be the result of causation. Or, how do we know that God is a merciful God? Justice demands otherwise. The Bible insists an eye for an eye, two for two. To all of these fears that would question God, the psalmist replies, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. 
Steadfast love, God's covenantal fidelity to the promises he made, especially the promise of a Messiah. Faithfulness is the Old Testament word for truth and the close of every Christian prayer. Amen. They waited. And today, on Pentecost, they were all together in one place when the sound of the wind and the tongues of fire appeared, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke tells us that the multitude together came together asking, what does this mean? For two millennia since their question, we, the church, have experienced the answer. The Word of God continued to grow. It grows because of the victory of the open tomb, the triumphant end of the longest wait. Let's consider that wait for a moment. Return with me to the cross and wait there because it is there that the love of God is truly revealed. See the broken corpse hanging from the tree. It is the full price for your sin and mine. The drops of blood flowing from the crown of thorns, the blood of the perfect Paschal Lamb sprinkled on the mercy seat of God. The water and the blood flowing from the side that fills the font and fills the chalice. The font where God declares, You are mine. The chalice we will soon receive with His precious blood declares, You are forgiven. The longest wait that gives the sweetest joy of the resurrection. God blesses those who wait for him, blesses them with his faith and salvation. Living on this side of the resurrection, we have the confidence of St. Paul. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Having endured the longest wait, we can reflect on what it has taught us. First, waiting is the posture of instruction. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths, the psalmist enjoins. Mays observes that this is one of the psalms that sees clearly that the Torah of the Lord, his instruction of those who fear him, is part of God's saving work. It teaches the church to pray for the Spirit to bring into our lives not only the power and mercy of God, but as well a being taught the way we are to live through the knowledge of God's ways with us. Waiting is the posture of instruction, but it comes with a promise, according to the psalmist. Verse 13, his soul shall abide in well-being. Or to translate a little more literally, you will spend the night in goodness. What a wonderful contrast. The night we often associate with the unknown, the terrors of night that rob us of sleep. And opposite of that, the goodness of God. And the continuation in that verse, his offspring shall inherit the land. The psalmist wrote about the land of Canaan. We look forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Second, waiting is a preparation for action. The night of verse 13 can also serve as a metaphor for preparation, a time to get ready. Tomorrow with the dawn, the journey begins. On Pentecost, the journey began. Peter stood up and proclaimed the word of the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. In the Spirit he declared the resurrected Jesus, the Lord's anointed, whom you killed. Convicted of their sins, the crowd asked, What must we do? And Peter responds, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they did. In the church, the Bride of Christ grew by 3,000 that day. 
you and I have been baptized. We too have received the Holy Spirit, and to us comes the opportunity to proclaim the word of the Lord. When we speak God's word, the Holy Spirit takes flight and enters the ears and then the hearts of those who hear. It can often seem a challenge to speak that word, but hear what the prophet Isaiah has to say about those who prepare for action. Isaiah chapter 40. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Finally, waiting is the posture of those who are looking for the return of Jesus. The psalmist describes us when he writes, My eyes are ever toward the Lord. Together, we enjoy the fellowship of the Spirit as His covenant people. We have been sealed in Christ's blood, the blood of the covenant we will soon take on our lips. Blood that declares, You are redeemed. Blood that declares, I will come again to take you to myself. In his book, The Sabbatical Journeys, Henry Nguyen writes about some of his friends who were trapeze artists. They were the flying rodellos. They tell Ruin there's a special relationship between the flyer and the catcher on a trapeze. The flyer is the one that lets go. As the flyer swings high above the crowd on the trapeze, the moment comes when he must let go. He arcs out into the air. His job is to remain as still as possible and wait for the strong hands of the catcher to pluck him out of the air. One of the Rodellas told Ruin, the flyer must never try to catch the catcher. The flyer must wait in absolute trust. The catcher will catch him, but he must wait. Waiting is a call to stop, to be still, to seek God. It affords a time of instruction, an opportunity to prepare for action, and to look forward to our Savior's return. God blesses those who wait on Him with His Spirit and with salvation. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.